Geek Nerdery. Player one, press start to play. Welcome to episode number 25 of Graveyard Duck Podcast. As always, I'm Scott. And I'm Wes. And uh, yeah, I, d- I don't think we need to do a whole lot of introduction here, Wes. I think by now people know the format and uh, they definitely know this game. Uh, yeah, I'm a- sure almost everyone has played this in some fashion or another. We pulled some obscure ones out over the last uh, 24 episodes, but uh, I'm pretty sure this one's well known uh we are talking super mario brothers 2 that is the u.s version super mario brothers usa if you're up on the whole japanese versions we'll get into all that later um but yeah everybody knows this game knows it probably pretty well it was released here in the u.s in september of 1988 europe and australia got it uh early spring of 89 and Japan actually didn't get this until 1992. So mm-hmm. they made this exclusively for us for several years there. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, and we'll get into it later um, as far as the uh, just the history of it all, considering uh, the U.S. and Japan. I mean, it's a totally different thing right? Uh, on both sides. So, All right, well, let's just kick this off the way we always do. Wes, tell me, uh, tell me a fun little nostalgic story about Super Mario Bros. 2. You know, um, obviously, Nintendo Power was a big thing with the premiere issue spotlighting this game. Uh, a lot of us probably got that issue and, you know, just tore through it like, you know, like we couldn't wait for the game. And I remember I did get Super Mario Brothers 2 for Christmas that year, uh, 88. So I was super excited by it and, uh, you know, just played the heck out of it left and right. And I posted uh, a screenshot of it earlier this week. but. Uh, you know, growing up, I, I kept a little photo album of games that I'd be, you know, I'd have my mom take a Polaroid or whatever. So uh, the first time I cleared this game, I was like so excited. And, like I ran in and I you know, got my mom come over and take a picture of it and stuff like that. So uh, just a really cool memory. Um, it's not one that I play that often anymore. Um, Maybe every couple of years or so. But uh, yeah, just I have very, very strong memories of just you know, digging through this game and really exploring it uh, inside and out. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So for me, this was one of the very, very earliest Nintendo memories I had. Uh, Mm. As as I said before on the show, I got my NES for Christmas of 89. Um, Yeah. You got yours a little bit later than I did. Right. So at that point, this was 
already out. Um, let's see, we were kind of at that point. Where were we in the era? We had already had that Kid Icarus. Um, the uh, Adventure of Link was already out, so we were kind of coming up on some of the new releases at that point. We're like Dragon Warrior, Fizanadu, Tetris, you know, so a little bit kind of in the middle of the run of the whole series or of the system. Sure. But like for me, I just remember like even before I got my NES, this was one of those games that everybody who had an NES had. And oh, yeah. when when I'd go to friend's house and play Nintendo, like, yeah, they had Super Mario Brothers, but like that was old news at this point. Like everybody was playing Super Mario Brothers too. Mm-hmm. Um and it's like I have more nostalgia for this game than I do for any of the other Mario games. Hmm. Um, I'm not going to say that it's the best in the series, but it's the one I, you know, have the most nostalgia for. And it's probably because it was just that iconic, you know, game that introduced me to the system. Um, and it was the first Mario game I played. You know, I once I got my NES, obviously I had the first one then. But like sitting down at friends' houses. Like I said, this was the new and exciting one that everybody wanted to play. Um, since then, it's still one of my all-time favorites. It's one of the games that's on my annual playthrough list. You know, I play it at least once a year. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I absolutely love it. I think that it's it's fun that um, you've got so much, you know, control over, like, playing different characters. And it's just so unique and so different from the rest. Um and, you know, I think I think that's another thing that I wanted to talk about. And, you know, maybe now's best time of or best better time than any to kick it off. But, um, you know, th- this fell into that, uh, I guess, cliche trapping of NES franchises that we've kind of talked about before. But it's like, you know, the, the trilogy rule for Nintendo games mm-hmm. where they always followed this pattern of your first one was, you know, great, a huge success. Second one came out and it was very different. And then all of a sudden the third one came out and it went back to the format of the first one. Mm-hmm. And this did yeah, it. Exactly right. Zelda did it. Metroid did it. Um, and Castlevania, definitely. And so it's like a lot of those now, I think in modern times are starting to get some of that, uh, some of the nostalgia and the love back. But I remember when I was like in high school, college, you know, some of those days, most of these like part twos were just hated on. Like hmm. I know many people who hate Super Mario Brothers 2, who hate Simon's Quest, who hate Zelda 2 because it's just like so different. It doesn't fit with the rest. And like for me, getting an NES when I did, these were the games that were big. So like the the part ones were already kind of old news, like I said. The part twos were the ones that, you know, hit me first. And then obviously the part threes came out and most of those are phenomenal. But like, I have more nostalgia for most of these part twos, the, you know, the proverbial black sheep entries than I do for the other ones. Hmm. This is actually, this is really interesting to me though, because, um, you know, like I said, I got my NES before you did. So I remember playing the first one quite a bit and, you know, I had a lot of fond memories of that, but you're exactly right in that during this era, the sequel was always a different game than the first one. And it, that's just how it was. It was like, oh, that's cool. It's going to be something different. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And then the third one was always a refinement of the first game and so on and so forth. But you're also right in the fact that there are people that, you know, were always kind of down on the fact that it didn't play exactly like the original one did, which 
in later generations then would go on and we'd see, okay, the se- the sequel would come out and it's a derivative of the first game. It's very similar because that's what people want. That's what sells. And then, like you said, there's kind of been a movement to kind of come back to different styles of games and, and unique sequels. So, um, yeah, it's kind of interesting then that you have a little bit more nostalgia for the, the second one of the series because that's the first one you started with. And, you know, I'm looking at it like I enjoyed the first game a lot. And like, wow, the second game is going to be totally different. Like the mechanics are going to be kind of similar, but the adventure is different. There's different characters, uh, different abilities and stuff like that. So that's really cool to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and then the third one comes out and it's like, oh, it's a refinement of the first one. So in a way, it's interesting that, I mean, that's it's almost a, a direction that the industry has gone for a long time you know, and kind of a response to that as well. So, uh, well, and and also at the time, like, I think that the thing that a lot of people have a hard time understanding is like when we played this, you know, or Castlevania two, Zelda two, whatever, like, I, I don't remember looking at Zelda two saying like, Oh, this just is too different, too weird. Um, because well, what all did you have to compare it to one game that doesn't right. make a, that doesn't yeah. make a franchise. So at that point, you know, yes, it's easy now to look at Mario and say, okay, the 2D side-scroller Mario games all have these common elements, mm-hmm. except for Mario 2. Right. Well, that's only because it's been established for, you know, several decades, mm-hmm. yeah. and those things have become the standards. But at the time, the only thing that was standard in a Mario game was Mario and Luigi. Right. So... Beyond yeah, you're that, exactly right. There was yeah, there was nothing else to compare it to. Sure. I mean, really. So So the fact that it didn't also take place in the Mushroom Kingdom, it's like, well, that's fine. Like, who mm-hmm. says they have to? Okay, it didn't exactly. have King it, it didn't have King Koopa, but okay, so who said he was gonna be the villain for all of them? Yeah. And but I think that there was a little bit of kickback from that, or or I should say, let me rephrase that, like uh, it was a learning experience, I think, for the developers as they realized, like, oh, maybe the element that people really did like was Koopa. Like, we didn't realize he was that big of a character. So for the third one, let's bring him back, um, yeah. you know, or or those types of elements. Oh, people really liked the more, you know, linear platformer rather than, you know, the kind of free form of Mario 2. So, okay, let's go back to that. Like, and I think that, you you develop that pattern and kind of def- the definition of what your franchise is over time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when we were kids playing these, nobody thought that this was odd because it just could, it could, it was impossible to define it that way at that point. Right. Yeah. You didn't have a frame of reference really, but right. um, yeah. And we'll get into a little bit more on the, um, the differences and stuff like that. I don't know if it's what I, I see what you're saying, but I don't know if that entirely applies to Mario too, because it's kind of a unique, situation but it is easy to see that you know now it's easier to kind of look at those trends and say you know well the players don't want this or they want this or they want that but uh, i think with at least the u.s release of mario 2 the other thing that really sort of helped cement you know the fact that it was different was nintendo power itself i mean obviously kind of just laying out from the get-go you know mario is sleeping he's dreaming he's dreaming of this different world of subcon and uh you know, we just kind of accepted that. And I thought, okay, that's cool. It's another story of Mario. And it just goes on from there. So, right. uh, yeah, I mean, I never I never had a problem with it. But then again, you know, we grew up with these games. So it's different. It's going to look different to us versus somebody that maybe 
started with uh, let's say new super mario brothers on the wii or started with uh, the ds or something like that to go back to this then after they've already been familiar with the pattern of mario games now it might look totally different right right yeah the, the this definitely seems like that oddball just like oh yeah you know some yeah. of those other part twos do because it doesn't fit at this point in time yeah um so do we need to take a step back and actually explain what the story of this game is, or can we just assume that everybody knows that? What I, You know, I would just kind of say, um, if you look at, okay, so in Japan, after Super Mario Brothers came out, and then later on Super Mario Brothers 2 came out in Japan, which was a much more difficult version of the first game. So you had uh, much more complex levels, you had poison mushrooms, you had wind and rain effects. Uh, you know, a lot of stuff to, to really up the difficulty. And at the time, you know, after Super Mario Brothers came out in the U.S. and was bundled and became a, a big hit, you know, obviously a sequel was in the works, but it was kind of deemed too difficult to bring the Japanese release over. And I think probably it, it might have been a little bit harder to sell at that point because it looked similar to the original game. But... Um, well, no, I, I, I want to interrupt you real, real quick because the everything you said is correct, but there's also one extra element to it, which hmm. I never knew as a kid. But um, Miyamoto claims also that one of the biggest or bigger reasons that they didn't bring their version of Mario 2 over here was because there was still such a delay in getting things localized hmm. that by the time you know their Mario 2 had come out, the NES over here was already... you know pretty far evolved past that graphics oh, yeah. wise okay. you know, opponent sense. wise so if if you've played the original you have the japanese mario 2 it looks very very similar to the first one there's yeah you know slight details like the mush super mushrooms now have little eyes but beyond that mm. it looks identical and so they were concerned too that if like super mario brothers was so huge and it kind of brought america out of you know the the game recession mm if they then said, here's the sequel and it looks the exact same while other games in 1988 were so far beyond that, it would have, you know, killed people's interest in the franchise. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. But uh, no. So I guess it was interesting then because in Japan, then this game was, uh, was known as Doki Doki Panic, which was a um, game that was made for a specific uh, Fuji television uh, media expo. Uh, and it was the uh, based on the uh, Yume Kojo Dream Factory. So it was kind of like the characters in that game were meant to reflect the mascots of the festival. So uh, I, I think it was just kind of decided then, okay, this game is very similar to Mario. It, it was done by the same team. So let's just take elements of that and change it a little bit and make it Super Mario Bros. 2 for the U.S. Right. Yeah, the, the things that you know they kind of changed was the Doki Doki Panic had a very Arabian flavor to it, which is why mm -hmm. you're seeing things like, you know, multiple desert levels, there's the flying carpets, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but then like they had a little magic lamp that you would pull up and that was what, you know, got transit turned into the magic potion that makes the doors mm -hmm. um, in the subspace. There was, you know, where we get the mushrooms that we're used to, they had, you know, hearts. Um, so the, and I think instead of coins, they used actual money. It was like dollars or something. But like, yeah, the the, the general idea was that they kind of just took the game, put these little Mario elements on top of it so that it looked more familiar, added, you know, 
like Starman and the mm. mush- well, Starman was in the Japanese version. Oh, did that not change? Yeah, it's it's the same. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. But yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because the the characters and the abilities are almost the same as far as uh, you know how they each have different you know one can float, one can jump higher, one can pull up items faster, stuff like that. So that that was still retained. Yeah. But it's interesting to me though because this was you know as I grew a little bit older and kind of learned about the Japanese release, this was sort of the first game that I kind of remember as having that sort of mystery to it, you know, and to kind of say, well, did you know that in Japan there's a totally different Super Mario Brothers 2? And it's just like, it was mind-blowing almost. Right. You know, and and that's what I was saying at the beginning of the episode. It's interesting that, you know, for us growing up in the United States and playing NES when it came out, you know, we have a totally different nostalgia than somebody on the other side of the world that grew up with a totally different game. Right. Yeah. fascinating. So that's why, you know, when we were kind of given the release dates at the beginning of the episode, Japan didn't get this until 92. So four years after they sent it over to us that, you know, it was so popular over here, which they never fully expected it to be. Right. Um, It was so popular that they decided, oh, okay, let's localize it back Mm -hmm. here in Japan. So they released it as Super Mario Brothers USA. Um, And yeah, it became a hit over there too. But, you know, Mm -hmm. at the time, it was just kind of this weird anomaly thing that they sent over here. Um, but yeah. And I mean, you're right that like the, the idea of there being another version of super Mario brothers two that we didn't know about is, is interesting. And mm-hmm. I am probably like most people where I didn't learn about that until super Mario all-stars came out for the super right. Nintendo. Yeah. You're exactly and right. That that's the one that contained, you know, Mario one, two, and three, and also this game called super Mario brothers, the lost levels uh-huh. and, you know, Nintendo power kind of blew that door open and explained what that was all about. But it's like, holy shit, there was another uh-huh. Mario game that we never got. Yep. And so Unless yeah, you probably. play like uh, if you played versus super Mario brothers, cause I can remember playing that at a pizza hut one time and uh, I got to like world six or something like that. And that's where, you started to see in different levels. And it wasn't until uh, much later that I learned that versus Super Mario Brothers in the arcade took some levels from the Japanese Super Mario Brothers 2. Right. At the time, I was like, man, this game's really hard. It's totally different than I remember. And then, uh, you know, years later, you learn, oh, this is has content from the Japanese release that... Yeah, it was, it was kind of a hybrid of the two. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So um, that's kind of the, the history in a nutshell. Um yeah, the Super Mario All-Stars release obviously came out, showed us that there were both versions. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, like, what what else do we want to say in, in terms of the, the backstory or the history? Like, we can start getting into some of the nitty-gritty of the game. But um, Yeah, I, I mean, I think it, it's, it's difficult to find things to discuss on this game that a lot of people don't know. But, you know, at the same time, I think, I think we're all pretty familiar with uh, just the, the history of it as far as that's concerned it's right um i I would hazard a guess that anybody listening to a video game podcast is probably aware of the mario yeah yeah absolutely um no i don't i just think it's um yeah i i just like the sort of the mystery of it that that was revealed you know much later on in the the super nintendo era So. so have you ever uh tracked down a copy and played doki doki panic i don't have a copy of it right now um i've i've contemplated picking up uh, the disc copy of it because uh, I do have a Famicom disc system, but it's one of the more expensive games for it. It's still about uh, $45, $50 usually. Yeah. So 
um, just haven't pulled the trigger on it. Um, I mean, I've, I've played it on, you know, emulators and stuff like that, but just haven't, I haven't got an actual copy of it yet. I think, I think it would be interesting to play. Um, and I'm kind of surprised that Nintendo didn't release it on, you know, either the Wii or the Wii U virtual console. That would have been a e- easy thing to put out there to give people, a, you know, flavor or taste of it because we yeah. all know about it, but my my theory on that is there's probably some kind of licensing uh, hang up with uh, probably Dream Factory or something like that. Maybe which is why it's never been re-released in that that format. Yeah, that would make sense. So I don't know, could be. But uh, since we're talking about differences a little bit too, though, uh, one thing that is interesting about the Japanese release though is uh, in order to get the full ending, uh, you have to clear every level with every character which is not something that is done in the u.s super mario brothers too you know you can just beat the game with any combination of characters but in order to get the true ending in doki doki panic you need to play through it what four different times so you're looking at 20 levels times four so quite a bit more yeah that's uh that takes some skill too because one of the things that i set out to do when we were preparing for this episode is i was going to do four playthroughs one with each character and Mm -hmm. um We'll talk a little bit later about our favorite characters and that, but you know, a couple of the characters I'm very familiar with, but I had just never really gone through with the others. And uh, I will admit defeat. I could not quite get a uh, Luigi game. <laughs> it's, that is probably the toughest one, I would say. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the, I don't think most people play through this with you know one character straight through, but you know, mm-hmm. kind of switch as you go to different levels, they obviously have different strengths and they're better yeah. in certain stages and whatnot. But yeah, just going straight through all Luigi all the time. I know there are <laughs> people that can do it, but man, it was, that was a rough go. Yeah. Well, and that's another thing that makes this game interesting. And it gives it a little bit of longevity because not only is it good for, you know, speed running or finding warps or things like that, but, uh, you know, being able to change up your play style by playing as a totally different character does change the game quite a bit. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, the le- you know, on what you're saying, the length I think is perfect because mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the, the cartridge version of the game, there's no save. So there's no password. Right. It's a, unless you're um, playing all stars, then there's a save. But... Yes. Once they re-released it on all stars, you get the save feature. But um, for the original, it was a once, you know, sit down playthrough. Mm-hmm. So if yeah. you, and if, if you go through no warps, I was able to do it in about two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, if you warp around, then obviously you can cut that out a little bit. Um, there's, yeah. I think my first playthrough when I warped, I I got through the whole game in probably 25 minutes. Yeah. So yeah, and there's what? There's four warps in the game. Yeah. World one takes you to four. Mm-hmm. Four takes you to six. Five takes you to seven. And yeah, I usually go one to four, four to six, and then six and seven. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I try to play it without the warps because I think that some of those stages are just a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, they are. They're short enough, and the whole game is short enough that it doesn't have quite the same like tediousness or repetitiveness of like the original Mario Brothers. Um, so I don't feel like the need to skip through any sure. stages. I, th- I think they're fun. I think they're you know short enough. And, they, and the one thing I'll praise this game for, too, is I think that every level is very creative. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you start getting into like, I think it's five, three, maybe, where you have to, you know, jump on the albatrosses and, you know, fly mm-hmm. through the end of the stage. Right. Um, 
I think, I think that's just a blast. Um, you know, and very different the first time you see this, you see all these birds flying around thinking like, Oh, here's enemies. And you know, you, you can't pick them up. You can't do anything. It's mm-hmm. just kind of fly through. Um, yeah. Hey, you're but, right about that because, uh, you know, at first you think, okay, there's only 20 levels to this one versus like 32 in the original. But when you look at the fact that most of the levels in this one have multiple screens to them. Yeah. So, I mean, and, you know, certain ones did in the original Super Mario Brothers as well. But, uh, you know, not only that, but you can also move left and right. So you're you're not just constantly going in one direction. And there's levels that you're going to go up as well or down. Right. So there's a lot more variety, even though it's, a shorter game overall. There's a lot more variety in the levels, I think. Oh, I lied. It's six two where you fly on the uh, albatrosses. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. There's you know a lot of variety in how you can go. I love that there's shortcuts. Mm. Um, you know, there's spaces where you can cut out. You know, a pretty decent chunk of the stage. Uh, obviously, there's the warping, uh, and I love when you get to seven two and you know you're in Wart's castle. There's two different paths through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you can backtrack and go collect items on the other path too, but like, yeah, the idea is it kind of splits and then eventually comes back together. But I just thought that was super cool. The first time I discovered that you have to like pick which way is, you know, better. Mm-hmm. Um, and on each of the two paths, you can get one mushroom. So if you want both mushrooms before you fight war, you've got to backtrack and go take the other path too. But, um, yeah, there's, there's just a lot of variety on how you can play through it. Um, Different characters obviously have different abilities, you know, for their mobility um, and can only access certain areas. Like there's one of the warps that only Luigi can get to. There's um, several places where if you have the princess, you can skip entire sections of the stage. Um, Just all sorts of great things like that. And that was one of the things that I always found really rewarding about this game as a kid was discovering those little tricks and finding that like, Oh, okay. If I'm in one of the desert stages, I'm always going to be towed because he can dig through that sand super fast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just the, those sorts of moments where you remember this character for here, this character for here. And like, that's that, that was satisfying and rewarding to kind of figure that out. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. Although I still have not figured out the uh, slot machine. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Are you still there? Oh, sorry. Cut out for a second. No. Um, yeah, I still have not figured out the uh, secret to the slot machine, though. I haven't either. You know? <laughs> um, Nick was posting on uh, on our Facebook group that uh, he had the secret to it, but uh, couldn't seem to get him to, to spill the secret. So, Yeah, I'm sure that like if you wanted to cheat, you could. I could hook up my NAS Advantage and like adjust the turbo to just the right setting to where you just mm-hmm. kind of nail it every time. But yeah, the... the I remember being better at it as a kid than I am now. Um, whatever pattern I had, you know, or you know, memory, the or finger memory, like it, it, it did a better job than it does today. But um, yeah, it's I, weird. I, I still have not gotten the knack. Um, although it's easier on the um, Super Famicom version, the Mario All Stars. Yeah. Oh yeah, it, it's a much slower reel, and you can actually right. kind of time it out. But well, and there's there's a a lucky seven in there too. In the all-stars one so if you get three sevens it's what uh, 10 up I something think? like that yeah but um in the original version growing up i always held down and left when i hit a because for some reason and i don't know if i picked that up like on the playground or at school or something like i thought it was like this urban legend like 
you know, you can hold down and left and you'll get the cherries more often. But uh, that only works like one out of 10 times. So. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure that's crap. <laughs> it is, I'm sure. But it's one of the things that, you know, it sticks with you. Then you think, well, it's got to be what it is. I'm just not hitting it at the right time. Yeah. Case. Uh, what do you think about the bosses in this game? Uh, well, you know, I mean, the 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 main bosses are, are cool. I thought um, on the, the more recent playthrough, I thought, man, you sure fight Birdo a lot. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> you know? So, and I don't know if that's just, you know, because they made one mid boss enemy and just shows up throughout each of, each of the games or I don't know, but, uh, I liked, yeah. I mean, Mouser is obviously, um, a cool villain with sunglasses and, you know, throwing bombs. Um, you got, it was the late eighties. Everybody had sunglasses. Well, yeah. Um, you got fry guy, you got triclide, uh, claw grip, or as is known in the uh, credits, claw glip. <laughs> So, yeah, also uh, the uh, Birdo Ostro flip. Yeah, you know, and um, I didn't. I always thought that that was a a goof in the credits, and it it's persistent in the Super Mario All Stars version too. But I didn't know. But looking back at the uh, the instruction manual, uh, both of those names are flipped in there too. Yep. Yeah, they finally they finally corrected it on like one of the Game Boy Advance releases. I think mm-hmm. is when yeah. they finally fixed it, but. Yeah, it's that, bizarre. It's funny. Never knew that. I mean, for the whole time, then, even if you look at the manual, page 26, it shows, you know, Birdo, which is the ostrich or Ostro. Right. And then you get down to Ostro, and it makes no sense because if you read the, the manual, it says Ostro for the name, but then it says he thinks he's a girl and he spits eggs from his mouth. He'd rather be called Birdetta. Right. So obviously, that would, wouldn't that tell somebody that, hey, maybe we goofed and flipped the names, but. By then, maybe everything was printed and done. They just said, you know, what the hell? Right. Yeah, probably. Yeah, because Nintendo Power had it right. I remember that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, looking in the game atlas, it always refers to him as Birdo. So yeah. it's just that weird credits and instruction book thing. But yeah, I remember mm-hmm. that. Yeah, it's bizarre. I completely forgot about it until we started playing again. Yep. Yeah, I think I think all the bosses in this are cool. Um, it's one of those where it's like, I know Mouser and Triclide extremely well because... Yeah no matter which way you warp, you're going to run into them. Mm-hmm. Um, Claw Grip and Fry Guy are the ones that you can kind of warp past. Or do right. typ- Typically, if you take warp zones, those are the ones that kind of get skipped. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one thing that I always just kind of felt cheated out of was you, we've got seven stages, but only five bosses because they, right. re- they reuse Mouser, they reuse tri- Triclide. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, either reuse all of them and give us you know, nine stages or come up with something original. Cause I was, I was like, I don't want to fight this guy again. I want somebody new. <laughs> right. Well, I think in this case we're looking at, you know, we've got a version of the game that was localized from a different game. And obviously that game, there was probably a reason why you fought Birdo every single time or something like that. But given the amount of time it took to just localize the game and add a few things here and there, they probably didn't have as much time to create new enemies for the U S version. Right. So I can I can kind of give them a pass on that, um, but yeah, it's very noticeable now playing through it. Uh, you know, later on in life, that you think, okay, there's there's regular Birdo, then there's Green Birdo, and then there's you know Birdo with uh, Kung Fu grip, and then there's you know, <laughs> Birdo with um, fashionable hat, you know, yes. or whatever. So uh, Birdo's dream car. Yeah, exactly. So Malibu Stacy Birdo. I don't know whoever. <laughs> Um, yeah, and it's—I mean—it's fun that th- these 
bosses and enemies as a whole like are are pretty iconic and i think that unless you're a retro gamer who played a lot of mario 2 yeah i doubt you know any like if i went and asked my you know nephews who play mario today like who triclide is they look at me like right. i had three heads <laughs> get, get it well, so does triclide so um yeah. but i do think that some of the other just kind of standard enemies have made their way into you know modern mario culture you know the shy guys specifically mm-hmm. um sure you know are now a driver in mario kart 8 which i think is awesome yeah. um a couple of the others have kind of like well this is where bombs you know were introduced mm-hmm. um, yeah you got like uh pokey. pokey pokey appeared in uh later games yep um yeah i don't know it's it's interesting that uh to bring it up you know, there are some other iconic characters here, but they've never really been brought back in anything. Right. So, I mean, obviously, well, I mean, we've seen it in like Smash Brothers and stuff like that. I mean, there's the trophies or there's, um, you know, different ones that might show up in the background or something like that. But as far as like, you know, playable Mario Kart characters, I mean, there's a whole bunch here that could totally be used for the next Mario Kart game. Sure. I'd sure. love to play as an officer driving a, a cart. That would be sweet. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to just see Wart appear in something else at all because I kind of yeah. feel like he got the shaft. Like he's a kind of a cool character who was just never developed because we only got this one game. And even this, like being an NES game, like the entire story came from one page of a tiny little instruction manual. So mm-hmm. if it didn't fit on a three by five piece of paper, like you didn't know it. Right. And yeah, you're right. I mean, Wart is he's a cool looking character, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, got this pink coat on, this crown and necklace. I don't know. I mean, it's it, it's sort of Bowser esque, but it's different too at the same time. Yeah, and I mean, without getting into all of the you know metaphysics of what the Mario world is, it's like it's interesting that this entire game takes place as a dream, yet yeah. certain elements of it still came out. Like, did Mario predict bombs? Like, because they're now a thing, but. Or- did elements of the dream world seep into the real world or right. i don't know yeah yeah i mean you you could but mario has done crazier things so you could yeah. absolutely have wart show up somewhere else but um yeah and, well and the other thing is we don't do enough drugs to really adequately explain the mario universe anyway that, that's true we you know not to mention super mario odyssey just you know getting into like interacting with actual human beings and people and stuff and that's just weird too yeah <laughs> but you know, that's part of the fun of it, too, though. It's, you know, it's just here's characters, here's a story, and that's it. So. Well, and one of my favorite things, you know, as I've said many, many times, is I'm a huge lover of the old Nintendo cartoons. And uh, Super Mario Brothers Super Show was one that ran, you know, for several seasons, but had the, all of the elements of it were kind of a hybridization between Super Mario Brothers 1 and 2. Hmm. Um because it was it was in that era where two was still really big, so they wanted to utilize it. But obviously, a lot of the story elements don't really make sense. So, like Koopa's still the main villain, mm-hmm. and he's got his Koopa Troopas, and he's got you know the the standard Super Mario Brothers one uh, enemies you know at his disposal. But he also is con- in control of bombs and shy guys and flurries and all of that. So it's mm-hmm. it's kind of this weird. Yeah, aren't those little like uh, things that look like gumdrops? I was thinking furries, like you know, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog fandom and things like that. But that's, that's a, a totally different show. That's that's a different game. You you were playing yeah. something else. God, I um, 
Um, yeah. So it, it, it's funny how in, in that case, like they kind of just mashed the two worlds together and yeah. Said, yeah, sure. Yeah, why, just... why doesn't Koopa control the shy guys? But yeah, I, I mean, I could see that as being, uh, I didn't really watch a lot of the cartoon growing up, so, um, I'm not as familiar with it as you are, but, um, I could see where it would make sense, especially if this game was, you know, the, the hot new game to kind of add some of those characters into the mix, but well, and it's funny to it's funny to watch the different elements collide because mm. hell, I was watching a little bit of it today, and there's an episode where they're in a snow world and they get trapped in this cave, you know, because of an avalanche, and some of the the flurries are trying to get in, and so Mario grabs a fire flower and is shooting fireballs at flurries. It's like, well, that oh. obviously never happened, but it's pretty cool to see. <laughs> right, right. But I don't know. I guess on the other hand, though, with the uh, in the age of uh, uh, fan hacks and things like that. I'm, I'm sure there's a game out there that incorporates all that stuff now. You know, you're probably right. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I never really dug too much into the the fan hacks. I'm I'm sure there's a lot of good ones out there, but uh, it's not one, not something I've ever really explored. So no, never been my thing. Um, so what did you think about the original versus the uh, Super Mario All Stars version? You know, that's interesting to me too because, um, and really, if you look at that one and the Game Boy Advance version, you really have three different sort of retellings of this game in a way, mm-hmm. or three different editions, I guess, if you think about it. So, you know, we've got the NES one that we all grew up with. The Mario All-Stars one I thought was really cool, especially with the use of the background detail that was fleshed out more. Oh, yeah. um, you know, there's there's a lot more color. There's a lot more uh, layers going on in the background, which adds a lot of depth, especially in like, the desert levels and um, the last couple levels, stuff like that. So, well, and it's another example of where I think they tried to make it feel more like a standard Mario game too, yeah. because some of the backgrounds had like those really rounded top hills that you see in like Mario World. Like mm-hmm. they put those there too. So aesthetically, Mario Two kind of blended more with the other two, and it, it felt less out of place. Yeah. And especially, I feel that way about the Game Boy Advance one too, because if you look at that one, uh, it takes the it takes the main game, but then it adds um, a score meter, which is not in the original game, uh, to make it feel more like the first game. And it adds the um, like the five coins scattered throughout the level from the later Mario games. Oh, really? Yeah. So then um, you know you collect those five coins, you get a one up kind of thing. Um, so it feels more in tune with a traditional Mario game, which is interesting. It's and it's different, but at the same time, it's also I can't really put my finger on it because with the original NES one, that was one of my kind of complaints is like, OK, there's not really a score meter. There's not really a progression outside of the fact that, you know, you just want to play through the game to get to the end of it. And then playing the like the Game Boy Advance one. OK, you've got the score meter, you've got the coins. But then there comes a point then you think, okay, now it's almost too familiar to the other games in the series. So one of, I guess it it depends on what you're in the mood for, I guess, because if, like you said, if we grew up with this one and we like the fact that it's kind of the black sheep and it's a little bit different, then we can accept it for what it, what it has or what it doesn't have. But if you look at the the newer versions that add the things that we kind of were thinking, oh man, we really miss those. Do we really miss them? I don't know. You know, it's just, it's three different variations on the core game, which is kind of interesting to me. Yeah, I, I'm completely unfamiliar with the Game Boy Advance version. I've never played it. Um, yeah, 
it was a year. launch title. I remember that because that was kind of the big, you know, the big selling point was, you know, the, the Game Boy Advance is coming out and Super Mario Advance, which is a remake of Super Mario Brothers 2, will be a launch title for because I mm-hmm. I picked it up when I got my first Game Boy Advance and, you know, really enjoyed it. But now looking back on it after playing so many other Mario games now and I can see the things that were added in, I'm thinking to myself, dude, I, did I really want those added in or was it just I was unable to accept the fact that I enjoyed the the Black Sheep game right. without those? I don't know. Yeah, see, for me, I, you know, I love the original and I love the Super Mario All-Stars version both. And there are, you know, subtle differences, but not enough that it feels like, oh, I'm I'm cheating on the original by playing the remake or anything yeah. like that because it doesn't change it that much. No. Um, and it, you know, I've always been, if I like a game and I want to play a different version of it, that's not going to change the way I feel about the original version. Right. You know, I can still accept that too. So, you know, and, and the only thing that I can really feel is different on the super Nintendo one is, you know, obviously the slot machine we talked about, but the idea that you can, Every time a character dies, you get to reselect which player you want to play. Oh, yeah. Good point. Yeah. Um, whereas in the, in the NES, once you started a stage, you got to pick then, but you were locked in until you finished that stage or got a game over. Right. Um, so it, it, it allowed a little bit more flexibility in terms of, oh, this stage is really tough with this particular character, but I bet if I had Princess, I could get through no problem or something. Mm-hmm. You, you had yeah. the flexibility to change that. Or, or that stage that I said where there's the warp that only Luigi can get to. Mm-hmm. Many, many times I've gotten there and I see that and it's like, oh, damn it, it was that one. Um, yep. But, you know, oh, well, you're stuck at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, th- th- that's a little addition that I think is is fine. You know, it doesn't change, you know, the, the core game. It's just a little bit of a more flexible approach. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, the only thing I'm not a big fan of in the uh, All-Stars version is the music. It's just I, I don't feel it's as good as the original. It, it's different. It's much more kind of souped up and jazzy, and you know that they did that well, to all three. And I think my biggest issue with it is it seems like on the uh, All Stars one, like the the tuba plays a prominent role in the music. Like that's all I hear in the background. It's like I hear the the tuba in the background versus the the melody itself. And I don't know. It, that's just me. But maybe it's the sound system I'm using. But. Uh, or maybe it's just by nostalgia for the NES one. Like you know, the the music is it's iconic. I mean, it's great. Absolutely. I love the uh, I love the desert music. You know, it's yeah. like probably one of my favorite songs from Mario Two. And to hear it on the All Stars one, it just sounds different to me. It's like it's not as good. Yeah. And the Game Boy Advance one, eh, it's all right. I mean, but the Game Boy Advance has a, a totally different issue in that um, there wasn't any actual sound hardware in the Game Boy Advance. All this. Uh, all the sound and music was software driven. So it doesn't sound as good to me there either. Right. Yeah. And it's like, I, I think that some of the, the little changes, you know, aesthetically, I I completely understand what you're saying about the music. Mm. And for me, like, that's kind of how I feel about some of the backgrounds. Mm -hmm. I think that they're fun. They're cool. They add a lot, but then there's other times where like when you get to uh, stage five, one, on the NES version, like that's when everything goes, you know, to the nighttime world, I guess you could call it where everything's just that black background. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's very atmospheric. Um, and for the super NES remake, uh, one of the stages is still night, but I mean, even then you can see stars and, you know, things like that. But then the other two are, you know, still more normal. So you mm-hmm. don't have 
the same aesthetic if that's kind of what you're used yeah. to and so yeah i don't know i mean it's just again it's it's variations on a theme and uh being able to see all three different ones and kind of form an idea of which one that you like the best is i think that's also kind of a, a neat feature of this game though because there's not a lot of games that you're going to play two or three different remakes of you know so right all righty. Well, I um, think we can talk a little tips and tricks and give our final recommendations before we have our big announcement for the for the week. So any last minute things you want to bring up or talk about before we move on? Uh, you know, obviously, the, the music is really, really good. Um, you know, it's it's hard to come up with things to say that that already haven't been said about this game uh, for years. I, but I knew I knew it would be a tough pick just because. It needs to be talked about, but it has been right. talked about to death, you know. And yeah, yeah. Um, but I think, I guess, if if I were to say anything more, I guess through the passage of time, my retrospective on this game is I've come to appreciate it a little bit more uh, for what it is, in the fact that it is different. It stands out a little bit more from the rest of the games. But also, I don't replay it that much. I mean, maybe every few years. But at the same time, it does feel really good to just kind of sit down play through this game in 20 minutes to two hours or whatever. And then you're just, you're done with it. And it's, uh, you have a sense of satisfaction that, okay, I played through a, a good platformer and I beat the game and I can move on. Yeah. And I, I would echo all of that, except take it a step further and say that, you know, I absolutely love the game. I always have still do. And, you know, it's, it's at least an annual playthrough for me, if not mm. more often, um, especially because like you said, when you, kind of get to know it pretty intimately it's you know about an hour is all you really need to go through it so mm-hmm. take take a lunch break and play through mario 2 i could you know easily see myself doing that once a month if i didn't have you know a dozen other games that i try to do that with also but um yeah yeah but uh yeah i i just i absolutely love it it's mostly fueled by nostalgia i will admit but mm. the the length I think the challenge, I think the replayability in terms of being able to change to different characters, uh, the the music, the background, like all of it, I think it's just a, a really solid package that mm-hmm. uh, every time I hear somebody badmouth it or say that, you know, oh yeah, I like all the Marios except Mario 2. Like, you know, it's mm-hmm. it makes me sad because I think that it's the kind of game that just got that bad reputation just because it was different, but it really deserves, you know, all the praise they can get because it's, it's, un, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I think it just different strokes for different folks. You know, I mean, if it's uh, some people obviously aren't going to like it as much because they prefer the original or they like three or whatever, but uh, you know, it's still in, in its own right. It's still a really good game, uh, you know, both in playability and just uh, from a technical standpoint too. I mean, uh there's not a lot of sprite flicker. There's not a lot of, you know, graphical glitches or anything like that. It's a very solid looking game um, and it plays really well. Yeah. So there's no, you know, slowdown or any of that stuff. So. All right. So recommend you would say. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Do a couple tips and tricks and then uh, stay tuned for our big announcement. Mm. Tips and tricks. Okay. So um, I had one tip that i wanted to throw out this week it's again talking about a game that's probably been talked about to death hard to really come up with much that's not uh i don't know overdone at this point Mm -hmm. but um this was actually something that i just discovered this 
past couple weeks as I was playing through it. And I don't think it's necessarily all that groundbreaking, but it's just something I had never even thought of before. Um, but I discovered a couple different tricks that really maximize how to use the, uh, the subspace. Hmm. Um, so it, as we know, like you, when you find that potion, there's always, or I shouldn't say always, there's usually two of them per stage. Uh, you want to use them in the right place because when you go into subspace, you can find not only coins, but also the mushroom that's going to give you more life. And early in the game, it's really easy to know where to use it because pretty much right where you pick up the potion, throw it on the ground, that's where your mushroom is. Um, but as the game keeps going, it becomes trickier and the, the mushrooms are hidden. They're somewhere different. Um, well, what I discovered, and I, like I said, just never thought about this before, Anytime you go through a door um, or leave the screen, like climb up or down a vine to change to a different screen, when you come back, all of the plants are reset. Hmm. So the potion will be back. So you can go grab your potion, throw it down, look for the mushroom. If it's not on that screen, okay, no big deal. Leave the screen, you know, climb up and down, down a vine, go through a door, whatever. Come back, get the potion again, go try it somewhere else. There's no time limit in the game. So you've got as many opportunities or chances as you want to, to figure out where the mushroom is. Hmm. Um, now the I other thing, that. yeah. Now the other thing with this too, is as far as collecting coins, there's a little bit more of a limitation there because the first time you go through the potion door into subspace and start picking up plants, you know, obviously they're coins. Um, the second time you go through a door and start pulling up plants, they're going to be coins. Starting the third time that you pick up plants, they're just plants. But hmm. I and I always thought that like that was just you, you know, you you can collect coins the first two times you go through the door and after that you're done. But it's not. It's it doesn't count as one of those two times unless you pull up a plant. So basically what I started doing this playthrough is use the potions to find where the mushrooms are, but don't touch any of the plants until you've you've got your mushrooms and you're ready to move on then use the trick again to keep you know getting potions go to the spot where there's the most plants regardless of whether the mushrooms there or not and maximize your coin collection then so mm-hmm. where you get the mushroom where you get the coins can be two totally different places but uh, again as long as there's a door to go in and out of so you can keep resetting that potion you can really maximize your coins and still get all of the mushrooms in every single stage um, the other little trick that was kind of goes hand in hand with this, which was one that I did know as a kid, was if you're trying to maximize uh, your cherries, which once you get so many cherries, then the star man shows up. Um, if there's a cherry on the screen when you throw the potion and go into subspace, that cherry will be in the subspace world as well. Um, and even if you collect it in subspace, when you come back into the real world, it's still there. So you can actually collect those twice. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you throw the potion down in an area where there's a lot of cherries, don't collect them until you go through the door, get them in subspace, come back out, get them again. Yeah, that helps quite a bit, especially if you're, because um, it's what, five cherries to get the star? I think. I think it's five, yeah. Yeah, so if you're in a spot where there might be a lot of enemies, then um, that can help, you know, get you through it a little bit better, especially in like, like the desert areas when there's a lot of snakes popping up out of the mm-hmm. uh, jars and stuff like that. So, so nice. yeah, no, nothing too groundbreaking, but just a little bit of um, things I discovered to help 
maximize your subspace usage. Yeah, that's good. I couldn't really think of anything um, secret-wise that, that hasn't already been discussed. But one of the other things I wanted to touch on real quick, and maybe it is kind of a secret because probably a lot of people don't know about it, but uh, there was another version of Super Mario Brothers 2 that was released um, in about 96 in Japan. And it's called uh, BS Super Mario USA Power Challenge. So it was for the um, uh, broadcast to Teleview system, which was kind of their um, modem-esque uh, downloadable piece for the uh, Super NES. But um, some of these games are playable on emulators or if you have the um, uh, certain types of ROM cards for, um, for the Super NES, it's playable. But... What's interesting is, um, and you can find this on Wikipedia as well, but uh, BS Super Mario USA Power Challenge uses um, some different stuff. So like at, at the beginning, you only get to play as Mario, and then um, as you progress, then you can unlock more characters to play as and stuff like that. But um, in Japan, these were broadcast um, usually at, only at certain times for about an hour. Um, and so these games were kind of broken up into usually about four parts. And so interestingly, like this game was playable between like um, like between five and six p.m. Um, like once a week or whatever. So um, you can play these on emulator. Um, it's worth checking out if you like that kind of like again to see like the alternate versions uh, of games because uh, this one adds like a score counter. Um, it has different time dependent events that trigger. Um, so certain items might show up or. Uh, things like that. There's uh, gold Mario statues that are hidden, uh, which is kind of neat. So uh, just something cool to check out. Um, if you're into that kind of stuff, um, there's also like uh, the Satellaview had um, another Zelda game on it as well that was sort of a remix of Link to the Past that had different things that would occur like uh, as timed events and stuff like that. So uh, it's worth checking out if you're a fan of this kind of stuff and, and want to dig into the alternate versions and stuff like that. I would encourage uh, you to check that out as well. Yeah, I've never played the Mario 2 version of or on that. I've done the the BS Zelda, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of neat. So since I mean that that stuff, there's no way for it ever to get re-released officially. So emulation is kind of the only way to play it. But um, it is a neat little bit of history, right? All right, so starting next week, we have um, kind of a new thing we're going to be playing around with on social media as part of Graveyard Duck podcast community and decided to try to find something that would be fun to do on the off weeks between episodes. So uh, for those of you who are on social media, either on Twitter or on Facebook, you can participate in this. But Wes, this was kind of your uh, brainchild. So why don't you explain what you came up with here? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So um, like I said, we just wanted to kind of do something um, in the off weeks to kind of encourage some some competition and, and things like that. So um, we're going to be unveiling uh, the Graveyard Duck Challenge and the other week then that we don't have a show that goes up. Uh, we're going to have, we're going to spotlight a game and we're going to have a contest that runs for about a week or so. And it's just going to be kind of a fun competition, um, you know, for bragging rights and stuff like that. But um, you know, we'll post it on the Facebook group. So uh, we'll spotlight a different game each week and it'll probably run from say the Friday the episode goes up to, you know, the next Friday or something like that. 
And so it's just going to be a, a fun competition that, um, you know, we might have, it might be time trials. It might be a high score attack or something like that on different retro games. And, you know, we're just going to have fun with it. So um, the first game that we're going to do in the graveyard deck challenge is going to be excite bike. So um, what we're going to do is we're looking for your best time on track one. And that's just going to be the first track as far as the time trial one without the competition on it, without the other racers. So, um, you know, post your best time on your on track one of Excite Bike and just post it to the uh, the Facebook group, and we'll just have some fun with it. We'll compare times and um, see who's the fastest and things like that. So, yeah, nothing too um, you know fancy or official. So it's it's all kind of honor system. If you want to be a big fat cheater and manipulate scores, whatever, I guess we can't stop you. But uh, I I would encourage just for the fun of it, like take some screenshots. So. Yeah. Pull out your pull out your phone or digital camera, whatever you got. Take a picture of the screen when you get your score and post that on Facebook page or Twitter. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, give give us your initials too, because we might be working on something fun that you can actually yes. take and be your memento or trophy. So, um, yep, exactly. So, yeah, it's just it's going to be something fun. It's um, I've wanted to do something like this for a little while, um, not only to spotlight some smaller games that we might not have, you know. A whole hour's worth of discussion for it, but games that are still fun and and enjoyable, and you know, um, it's it's again, it's it's part of the uh, the enjoyment of of gaming and sharing your times and competing with other people. So, and did we to... also decide that there is no limit on the number of submissions? So, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, if you want to play for a week and keep trying to do better and and shave seconds off your time and excite bike. You're more than welcome to, and there's no limit on. I mean, we don't care how you play it, whether it be cartridge, digital download, emulation, however you do it, doesn't matter. Um, it, like I said, it's just going to be for fun. So, uh, you know, track one of Excite Bike will be the first week, and uh, we'll just see who who's the best uh, Excite Bike racer. Yeah, I, I can pretty much assure you, it will not be me. It might not be me either. I haven't played for a while, so. <laughs> but that's okay. I mean, that's the fun of it. So. Um, yep. You know, it's it's something that we can all kind of um, in our own time just kind of play and compete with and, and enjoy. So, yeah, we'll try to get a variety of different game styles, too. So it's not all not all racing games, not all sports games. You know, do some some right. coin ops, do some platformers, mm-hmm. do all sorts of different things. So it should be. Yeah, it'd be shoot 'em ups probably um, here and there and, and different games. And it's not going to be strictly just NES. Um, I mean, probably the majority of it is, but. Uh, there's other games out there that you know we can uh, we can spotlight as well. So absolutely, yeah, I think this will be fun. So give give a little bit more interaction and something to do on the off weeks. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, be good. So look forward to that. I will post probably the official you know green flag start time sometime uh, say Friday afternoon ish. Be about probably about the time that I normally put the episode up. Mm-hmm. And probably go till like noon the following Friday, but stay on Twitter, stay on Facebook. You'll, you'll see all the posts. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll yeah. try to, we'll try to pin it in the Facebook group. So it's um, easily accessible. Alrighty. Well, I, um, I'd say that kind of wraps it up for, for this one. We've already got uh, next episode picked another, another choice by you. I think it'll be a good one. So yes. Yeah. It's uh, one of, one of my favorites, um, which, and of course, I mean, every game, pretty much what we've done has been a favorite of ours here or there, but that's, that's for the fun of the show too. But um, yeah, you were, uh, you were asking me the other day, 
if I had my pick and I said I did, and I was asking you, you know, how your running gun skills were and if they were up to par. So um, <laughs> that's all I'm going to say on that. I'm sure some of our listeners have probably figured it out already or will pretty quickly. So uh, look for that announcement next week. But in the meantime, uh, we're going to focus on the challenge first. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. So it's going to be fun. We're going to have a, a lot of stuff to keep people engaged and, uh, you know, encourage the spirit of competition. So it'd be fun. All right. So if anybody wants to get their comments in or, you know, talk about Mario 2, share their nostalgia stories, whatever, Wes, how do they get a hold of us? Well, you can, uh, obviously, like we just said, you can join our Facebook group, uh, Graveyard Duck Podcast. We've got a lot of good discussions going on there. Uh, we're on Twitter as well at Duck Graveyard. And you can email us at graveyardduckpodcast at gmail.com. All right. So, um, yeah, stay, stay in touch, stay uh, tuned, have some Excite Bike next week, and another great episode coming up in two weeks. But uh, until then, I'm Scott. And I'm Wes. And just remember that Shy Guy's favorite ride is the Autobomb, which is also referred to as the Bad Dream Machine. Or as I always looked at it, it looked like a old-time movie camera. Yeah, I always thought the exact same thing. Game over.